Well, uh, today we begin a new series on the Beatitudes. We're going to do this for the next eight weeks. Oh, they're powerful. I'm going to have us uh, read, I'm going to read the intro, and then I'm going to have all of us read through all of them every week for the next uh, eight weeks together. We're going to kind of get them in our bones, review. Oh, you, you can never know the basics enough, right? And this is core of who we are, because it's core of who Jesus is. So hear the word of God. Uh, this is, and I'll, I'll cue you when I want you to engage with it and share and read. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And let's say this, all this, the rest together. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Come, Holy Spirit, lead us again. I pray now that these words of mine may not be my words, <clears throat> but they may be your words. I pray, O oh Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pure and acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as we jump into our fall series on the Beatitudes, just a few introductory comments here about how they were preached, what the background is on the term, what does Beatitude mean anyway, right? And how this fits in the whole Bible. First, Kyle, if you could put up the first slide. So this is a slide of Galilee in the fourth century. And let's see if my pointer works. I don't know if you can see my pointer. Oh, it's kind of hard to see. But, but basically, if you see the Sea of Galilee here, the, the place we think, well, there's no way to know exactly where he taught this, but we know that um, based on other scriptural texts later on that he was near um, uh, Capernaum and Chorazin. We think in this area, in the north northwest, north, northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee was where he, if you look just the upper part of the sea here, that's probably where he taught, that, well, there's a good chance that's where he taught it. It certainly fits the bill if you look at the pictures of it, <clears throat> we know that um, there's a tradition that goes back all the way to the fourth century that puts Jesus in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee when he was teaching this. Kyle, if you want to put up the first picture. So this is um, the Church of the Beatitudes. This is a place in this general region we just saw on the map the tradition of Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount was strong enough, uh, the tradition of him teaching in this area was strong enough that they put a church there, <laughs> aptly called Church of the Beatitudes. When I visited Israel six years ago, 
our tour group <clears throat> visited this very place. Maybe did the tour group who went with this church and Mark, everybody, did you guys visit there too? Beautiful, isn't it? It's on the sloping northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. The monastery and hillside around it is just west of Capernaum, and the Sea of Galilee stretches out to the south. You can see that here. So this is where there is a tradition. I read going back to the fourth century that this is the general area Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, beginning with these Beatitudes. I would have never known, though, on that day we visited, because when we visited this whole area, when I visited there, the whole area was shrouded in fog. <laughs> Bummer. So I never got to see this gorgeous meadow, let alone the Sea of Galilee, at least from this view. But we got on the Sea of Galilee too. We had a little worship service at the, at the church there and it was still awesome. But it left it kind of mysterious that you couldn't actually see it, you know. You can look at the second slide. So that's another view looking up. Imagine <clears throat> sitting with Jesus and him teaching in this place. It certainly looks the part, doesn't it? I discovered something that I hadn't known about this this week when I was researching. Did you know it turns out that the spot here traditionally thought to be the place or the, the general location where the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount was taught this spot around the Mount Beatitude, the spot itself, is actually more than 80 feet below sea level. So it's actually, it's, it's listed as one of the lowest mountain points, I think, in the world. So if this is the place where Jesus taught his Sermon on the Mount, and it certainly looks the part, and there's a tradition that he did this, it turns out that this mountain is actually a low place. And that certainly fits with the whole idea of the incarnation, doesn't it? That the incarnation is about Jesus taking the low place, as Paul says in Philippians, taking the very form of a servant, becoming obedient unto death. So the physical setting may very well fit perfectly with the idea of the incarnation, right? A mountain that is also a low place. It's interesting. Just a riff on my part, but it's an interesting idea, right? It still remains, though, that the mountain in a low place here is still a mountain. It says he went up on a mountainside and sat down like Jewish teachers normally did when they, when they taught. Bible scholar S.A. Yang points out that in Matthew's gospel, mountain is really important. It's, it's, it's a motif in Matthew's gospel. It's on a mountain that Jesus reveals his identity and transforms before his, his three guys there. And that it's on the mountain that the risen Jesus commissions his 11 disciples to make disciples of the whole world. In the Old Testament, Moses receives the Torah, the teaching of God's will for Israel on a mountain called Horeb. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus, the new Moses, teaches the true meaning of Torah from the perspective of a mountain. So there's a big, broad biblical theme at work here. <clears throat> As Jesus is becoming the new Moses, taking people and remaking Israel around himself, taking the people to a deeper understanding of the law that Moses gave them, 
remaking Israel around himself. Israel had 12 tribes. Jesus had 12 disciples. Israel would be a blessing to the nations in Genesis 12 through Abraham. And then in the end of Matthew, Jesus sends his disciples to what? Bless the nations, right? And those disciples, along with the crowds who listen, now at this point, begin their pilgrimage with a deepening of the law that Moses brought down from the mountain. And they do that with Jesus here on a mountain where Jesus sits just like a typical Jewish teacher would. He sits down and he begins his work of forming his disciples. And he does this in a bombshell way. I have this great set of videos from Navy SEAL training class 232. I think you can still find them online. They're DVDs, not Blu-rays. They take you through the whole process. And as you might imagine, the instructors for Navy SEAL class 232 are on these guys from day one of BUDS, BUDS, basic underwater demolition SEAL training. There's a lot of yelling, a lot of pull-ups. They single out an officer who isn't physically prepared as they think he should be. Officers in the Navy SEALs train uh, with enlisted men in the SEALs, that's how they do it. But the officer status doesn't stop the instructors from pinging on that officer and coming down hard on him, have him having him go out and get wet and sandy as they have to do, right? These guys have to get going super early to clean their rooms for inspection and then have to go out to the grinder by like 4.30 a.m. in the morning, the grinder where they work out and get kind of punishing workouts. It's tough. I remember one of the instructors in the video saying, it's day one, it's welcome to buds, we're not here to mollycoddle anybody. Gotta love that word mollycoddle. It's an old, oldie but a goodie. It's fascinating stuff, it's inspiring. But with all due respect to the Navy SEAL instructors of class 232 in that video, our Lord's training program with his disciples and for us begins in a radically different way. And I mean radically different. And it's all encompassed in his very first word, in the very first sentence that he utters here. Blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Or blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That first word, blessed. The, the seal instructors were blessing the class 232 in a different kind of way. Jesus blesses in his way, right? In Greek, blessing is the word makarios. And in Latin, makarios is translated beatus in Latin. That is where we get the term beatitudes, blessings. Makarios, beatas, beatitudes, or beatus, probably, beatitudes. And as Dr. Yang points out, and here's the bombshell, a makarios or a beatus, aka beatitude, is a declarative and congratulatory statement about God's beneficial action to a person. 
our Lord begins training his disciples, training us, by telling us, congratulations, this is what God has done for you, blessed. The first word in the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount, arguably the greatest ethical teaching of all time, universally recognized by everybody, probably or most people, the first word is blessed. That's the heart of God. That's the gospel. That's the essence of the gospel. God's unconditional, gracious initiative to intervene and bless you and me with what we need the most. When our Lord teaches on that hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee, as we could imagine it, he doesn't start with simply challenging people to a higher living. He doesn't start by raising the bar and saying, jump higher, or don't quit, or just do it, or anything like that. Or go get wet and sandy, as the seal instructors would say. I'm gonna hold you to a higher standard, as the seal instructors would say to their officers. All due respect to the seals. But our Lord starts not by asking anything of us at all. We begin our training with a blessing. Before the Lord calls us to do one thing, he blesses us. It's not a condition. It's not do this and get the blessing. It's something much different. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Scholar Dale Bruner puts it this way. Our Lord blesses us in our spiritual poverty. When we don't feel like going to church, when we don't feel like reading the Bible, when we don't feel like forgiving, his blessing is there for us. He declares it. Blessed. Into our poverty of spirit, our Lord declares a blessing. Dr. Bruner summarizes it. The Beatitudes are not to be turned into spiritual conditions that when fulfilled will merit God's grace. That's not what the text is doing. That's not what Jesus says. Rather, Jesus promises the grace of divine help to those who cannot help themselves. The God helps those who help themselves rule found in other religions and almost in all proverbial wisdom is nevertheless at bottom, a graceless truth and is not often helpful to troubled people. God helps people, Dr. Bruner says, who simply need help because they need help, not because they meet spiritual conditions. This really is the big picture of the whole Bible. The award-winning writer and minister Fleming Rutledge puts it this way, the Bible story is not a triumph of the human spirit story. We love those. But the Bible's not that. It's a story of God's story. It's a, story, it's a triumph of God's story. God is the main character. The main plot line is about God creating God rescuing, God redeeming, God restoring, God with us. You get the theme? <laughs> the first beatitude really is a summary of that idea. It's not pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, but total, complete salvation as a gift. What is described is a complete, total poverty of the spirit. I wonder, listening to this, if people in that group we're probably at all split on this, right? If you said, blessed are the poor in spirit, 
Maybe some people went, oh, that's good news. Maybe other people went, what? You're telling me I'm not, I'm not all that? Yeah. Turns out the gospel is for losers. We are all losers, spiritually speaking. Nevertheless, beloved. That's the good news. We're losers, but we're loved anyway. Saved completely in Jesus. It's not 50% us reaching up and 50% God reaching down. It's all God. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And nothing means nothing. And into our abject spiritual poverty, the Lord blesses. Every ethical demand of the Sermon on the Mount leaves us feeling quite poor in spirit. As Dale Bruner points out, all of Jesus' teachings will at some point show us how much we need God's blessing. Try it. Read every one of his commands, try to follow them, and see if it doesn't drive you to your knees going, help, right? Jesus commands, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Try it. (laughs) Try to do it consistently. You'll need the Lord's blessing. Jesus commands, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your gift. Try it. Try to do this consistently. You'll need the Lord's blessing. Jesus commands, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Try this. Try this consistently. You'll need the Lord's blessing. Jesus commands, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Try this. To do this consistently, you will have to go back to the blessing. Jesus commands, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Try this. To do this consistently, you and I will have to go back again and again to this first blessing. We don't have it in us. We are, it turns out, woefully unprepared for this training. And while we might expect that on our day one of training with Jesus, he and his sovereignty would be like the ultimate Bud's instructor, and these guys are cool. They got the cool mustaches and they're like laugh and they, you know, and they're like, come on, you know. <laughs> this is it, you know, laughing. No, that's not what our Lord's like. And all due respect to what they're doing, we understand that. But there's a bigger picture, right? God in his sovereignty, who knows we are woefully inadequate, totally not up to a life of serving him, doesn't begin with a rebuke. It begins with a blessing. The great headline of the Christian faith is not God rebukes humanity for being woefully unprepared. But rather, the great headline, that that chyron 
on Fox or CNN, right, that you see running across the bottom of the screen. God blesses woefully inadequate humanity. Stay tuned. Film at 11. Whatever, right? Being the body of Christ at its core is about shaping our lives again and reshaping them again and reshaping them again to receive the blessing that we desperately need to train and to receive it again and again and again. That's church. That's what we do here. That's what this is. It's receiving. We are coming back to the blessing. The Lord wants to bless you and me. The training is hard. It'll break you. It'll break me. It's too much. I have been learning about gardening all summer. I have made all the classic er errors. I have overfertilized. I have overseeded. I have overwatered. Finally, I had to cut out another part of my grass section and replant because I overfertilized. Took out the contaminated over nitrogen soil. Did this, got everything all reset. Get up the other, the other day, look at our little backyard patch. Guess what? I got moles. <laughs> As a therapist told me one time, there's always one more thing. There's always one more thing. It just never ends. Little moles. I looked them up online. They're kind of cute. Blind little claws. Oh, bless you. you know. Lord. They're, boy, they're tenacious too. They get it done. Ah, uh, So there's always one more thing. It's, it never ends. And it takes us back to the blessing again. God, I'm not up for it. We go to our small group. Pray for me. Lord, I'm tired today of being a person. I've, I've run out of nice. Well, talk to me. Walk with me, he says. Let me bless you. Oh, I don't feel like going to church. Some of you might, and we, and we all can think this way, right? We're human. I'd rather turn over and sleep in. Come to church. Hear Joe Kim's soaring trumpet and our choir's tones as Jung leads and let that lift you and you receive the blessing through me. Oh, thank you. You feel that Lord is the Lord. I, I told you, I'm rediscovering prayer again at 53 years old. Been a pastor for uh, over 20 years, Christian since I was 16. I'm rediscovering prayer. You know, I, and the Lord's meeting me in a, in a new way. Not that I, you know, I stopped praying or didn't believe in it, but you, just, you, know, you get so busy. We get so busy that we forget to get the blessing. But it turns out the blessing is everything. Are you getting the blessing? We're here to help you with that. There's a lot of ways to get it. That blessing is big. Shows up everywhere. Let us help you with that. Come to Alpha. Come to small groups. Come to worship. Serve. Put your hands in the soil here. Meet and, and literally in our garden club. You know, all that. Um, come to the, to the youth auction coming up in September. Um, sing. Uh, let people pray for you. Pray over our prayer quilts over here. Ah, oh, there's so many ways. Jesus' blessing is big. You don't have it. I don't have it. He does. He has it all for us. May it be so for you and for me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen, amen.